our living hope. You are God, the Son incarnate that has come to save us, Father. You're the Son of Man. You're the prophet greater than Moses. You are God himself. And we look to you for our salvation. God, I pray even this morning you give us a glimpse of your Son's glory, Father, and it would transform us. Father, we pray now that you would open your word to us and you would teach us to follow you and put our trust in you. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. All right, come on. Good morning, church. There we go. Okay, you're there. You're awake. And welcome to those of you that are online on this beautiful and cold Sunday morning. Glad to have you guys here with us. You know, uh, last week we covered a trip. I, I mentioned a trip that I went to Finland. I want to cover one other trip because I've been gone so much. Just to give you guys an update, me and Josh Jost, our youth pastor, went to Guatemala in December right before uh, Christmas. And uh, we did a couple things there. We were there celebrating the dedication of Iglesia Galilea's new church building. This has been a dream of theirs for about 15 years, and we've got to participate in that dream for about 10 and to see it to come to fruition was quite a day. They had 1,200 people there <laughs> celebrating what God had done. Even the mayor of the town, over 250 kids, the poor children's workers, were doing a great job that day for the four-hour service. And uh, it, was a, it was a great time to celebrate all the blood and sweat and the tears and what God has done over time. And yet we were also there to plan our trip for this summer. So we have 30 people that have said they're going to Guatemala. So if that's one of you, if you could stand up or raise your hand, I want people to see some of who's going. Okay, there's some, there's some, here we go. Okay, <clears throat> ask people, there's a lot of people going, support these guys, it's going to be a really cool thing. And so we got to plan and do that and talk about uh, the pastor's conference and the construction we're going to do and the outreach we're going to do and all these things. Uh, it's a really, really good thing. So, but I'm glad to be back with you, and we're in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to continue looking at God, uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 50, so I'd encourage you to grab a Bible, and I might just say this, let's try to grab a paper Bible even today. Maybe do like the youth do on Sunday mornings, they put their phones in a basket and set it aside so they can focus on what God uh, has to say. You know, Luke chapter 9 opens with, a story of the disciples being sent out by Jesus kind of for the first time, and he gives them authority and power over demons and to heal, right? And what we see here is Jesus again showing his authority that he can give it to us even to have power over things that those of us that have been transformed by the gospel then go out and participate in his mission to multiply the gospel and bring the kingdom to all the world. And as we think about this and think about what our church is doing this summer in Guatemala, we also have a team going to Croatia and Japan, right? And even what I was doing in Finland. God wants us to participate in his mission. Where is he calling you to participate in his mission? And as we're looking at it today, we're going to see that he also wants us to be bold and unashamed about who Christ is and what he is doing in our world. God may be calling you even just right here to your family and friends to share with them the good news of the gospel. 
Now this is great. They go out in chapter 9. They do great things and they come back and tell Jesus all that they're going to do. In fact, they're going to do it next week again. But then they have this story where they retreat and the crowds follow them right to this place called Bethsaida. When I grew up in Tennessee, there was a town called Bethesda, right? So I had to learn to say it the biblical way. But he goes there and the crowds are following and Jesus does again. He shows his authority by healing and teaching. And then it's getting late in the night and he tells the guys, hey, why don't you go give these guys something to eat? And they're like, but Jesus, we only have this, these five loaves of bread and two fish. And again, we see the disciples' weak faith. Jesus has just sent them out, empowered them over demons and all these things. And now they don't know what to do, how to provide food. And so this is going to be the balance we're going to see throughout this whole gospel that that we see God for who he is at times and then at other times our faith feels so weak and yet God wants us to trust him, who he is, who he's showing us to be. So Jesus does another miracle, provides for everybody and sends them out. Now what we're going to look at in this passage, last week we saw how Jesus showed his authority proving who he is, and different levels of faith, even as we see this morning. But we're coming to a climax here in chapter 9, and the book is going to shift after this. Peter's going to confess Jesus as Lord, that he is the Christ. Okay, That all of this should lead us to this point where we will confess Jesus is Lord and begin to live for him. The book is going to shift now after this to focus on what Christ is going to do on the cross. But today we're going to look at our passage in three parts. We're first going to look at Peter's confession of Christ. Okay, super important. Then Jesus is going to tell us what the, the cost is to follow him. And then we're going to look at the glory of Christ in his transfiguration. And so let's look at Peter's confession of Christ here in Luke 9, 18 through 22 says that Jesus retreats with his disciples from preaching the kingdom of God and healing people. And as we read this morning, Luke 9.18 tells us that Jesus was praying alone, and then he asked his disciples some questions. They're, they're nearby, and the first question is this. In Luke 9.18 and 19, he says, Who do the crowds say that I am? Okay? He's asking who... What is everybody saying about me? What's the word on the street? Guys, what are the memes that have been passing around about my ministry? Right? And the disciples give a couple answers. They say, well, Jesus, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. <laughs> and these are all going to be good options. Luke records for us in Luke 9, 7 through 9, that Herod the king was wondering the same thing. He knew he beheaded John, and he thinks... Maybe this is John the Baptist coming back and doing more miracles and he's going to give me problems. Others say, well, Jesus, they think you're Elijah. This might be a good guess. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 tells us that Elijah was going to come at the end of days when God's kingdom was coming before the Messiah would come. He would precede this Messiah and so maybe you're Elijah. Even Luke 1.17, John the Baptist is prophesied that he would go forward before Jesus in the power of Elijah. Jesus says he is Elijah that has come. And then they say, well, maybe you're one of the prophets of old, right? 
We've been looking at his miracles. He does the things of prophets. He speaks on God's behalf. He heals people. He performs signs and wonders. He prophesies about the future. None of these are bad options, right? You can see where people are getting these things. And we might ask ourselves, what do people say about Jesus today? What do we hear? Here he was a good and religious and moral teacher, right? The founder of Christianity, maybe your friends say this. He teaches us good things. He teaches us the golden rule, how to love people. Those are good things, but they really don't think he's God, right? I'll take his teachings, but maybe he's not God. I just want to say he's not really a great teacher if he claims to be God, and he's not, okay? Some people say, oh, well, he's just a crazy guy that thought he was God. He's like all these other religious leaders from across history. Ultimately, it's a big joke. (laughs) In fact, we were talking about this in Finland. The the youth pastor there had invited a kid on the street that was interested in church to come. He said, why don't you come to church? And you know what the kid showed up in? He came to church dressed in a Halloween costume of Jesus. All right? It can be just a big joke if we think he's another crazy guy. Maybe we should even pity him and his followers. Other people in our context would say that Jesus was born our brother, that he is a man that became divine. right? And that might mean that we then, like him, could work into some sort of divinity to do the right things on on our own power. Denying the cancer of our sin nature that the Bible tells us about that says we could never be holy and right before God. Some people would say he's a legend. Maybe you've heard this. They create him with a Greek mythology that that really explains life anecdotally or soothes our senses about the things that we go through. I've had people tell me before, I'm really glad you believe in Jesus. I'm glad that's good for you and that's working for you, right? But that's not who Jesus claims to be. And sometimes Jesus is just the waiter at your favorite restaurant, (laughs) right? When I go to Red Iguana, I have Jesus. Often he performs the miracles of chips and salsa. And that's all he is to some people. We live in a world that is confused on the person of Jesus. You've probably heard all of these things about Jesus. And Luke, for the many last chapters, is showing he's much more than that. He is is God. He does the things of God. He heals. There's a hope of salvation. He is the one to come. Who is Jesus? And Jesus asked this second question to his disciples in Luke 9.20. That's great, Jesus says. But then he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Jesus says, you've got it, Peter. That's right. The Christ of God, meaning I am the anointed one of God. God's deliverer from long ago that was long promised That has now come. The one who is going to go to the cross, as the scriptures say, to pay for our sins, to make a way for us to be with God forever. He is the Christ, the very Son of God incarnate. God Himself come in human flesh to take our place 
and the debt we had before God. And this is the question that I think Luke wants us all to hear that Jesus is asking of us this morning. Who do you say that I am? We know what the the church says about Jesus. We know what our, our friends say about Jesus. We hear what the world says about Jesus. You know what your parents have said about Jesus. But he is asking us, who do you say that I am? And the answer to this question has eternal consequences, as we often hear. Listen, I remember when I was, a, a, you know, kids and youth, when I, when I was a younger person, I, I remember hearing about Jesus. I'd given my life to Jesus. I was following in the footsteps of my parents' faith. But there came that day where I had to make a decision. Who am I going to say who Jesus is? Is Jesus going to be my Lord? Is he God's son? Should I follow him? Is he mine? And Matthew goes on to tell us in 1627, he tells us that, <clears throat> that Peter, that flesh and blood did not reveal this to him, but it was God the Father who had revealed who Christ was to Peter. And what we see is to confess Jesus as Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to do a, a transformative work in our hearts so that we even understand Becoming a Christian is about God changing of our heart of stone that is in rebellion against God to a heart of flesh that is receptive to God's things. Hebrews says it this way. I think this is really important. If you're feeling God stirring in your heart today, Hebrews tells us, listen, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. 2 Corinthians, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation if you're hearing him. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Listen, if you've never given Jesus your life, today is the day to do it. This is the question that, that Luke's putting before us. Who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Look at what he's done. Look at what he's said about him. Look at what he's taught. Look at how he's lived. Look at how he's healed. He is the son of God. And he can change you. Confess Jesus as Lord and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And begin walking with him. Romans talks about it. It's as easy as this. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. That's what Peter is doing. You are the Christ, and I'm going to follow you. Where else would I go, Jesus? Jesus is the Christ. He is God. He is our Savior. And as Peter tells us in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. If Jesus is God, he is the only hope of salvation that there is in this life. Whatever the world says, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Will you follow me? And after Peter's confession of Christ, Jesus is going to then teach his disciples more about who he is and what his mission is. In fact, right after Peter's confession in Luke 9, 21, Jesus tells them to the disciples, he says, look, don't share this knowledge with anyone that I'm the Christ. Now, that seems like kind of a weird thing from Jesus, knowing what we also know, what he says about going into the world. Why would he do that? Because there was a 
there was a political movement growing surrounding him. Right? He didn't want this political movement to overtake his ministry of saving people. In fact, John 6, 14 through 15 tells us that after he fed those 5,000 people with the miracles, it said the, the crowd recognized him as a great prophet and that they were about to come and take him and make him king. <laughs> Jesus says, don't miss the point. Don't tell everybody that because there's more to what I'm doing. Part of their expectation when this Messiah would come is that he would be the son of David. He would be a new king that would inaugurate a new kingdom for Israel and throw off every other nation that had bound them for years and years. And this is good news in the days when the Romans are over Israel. They want to be done with them. But Jesus says, while those things are ultimately true of me, his mission at this time was to be the suffering servant who would die for his people. This coming king was going to lay down his life for his people so they could be made new and walk with him. In fact, Jesus gives them a fuller picture right here in Luke 9.22. Look, this is the first time he says this. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised again. He says it again in Luke 9.44. He tells them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And the disciples are going, We don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. You're doing amazing things. How can this be? Luke 9.45 tells us that these things had yet been hidden to them until they were going to happen. Jesus is telling them nothing that hasn't been said in the Old Testament already that they should have recognized. You can think about Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, the coming Messiah was going to lay down his life so that the nation could be made righteous or the sign of Jonah that said that he was going to go into the grave for three days and be raised again and yet they didn't understand it. Furthermore, after Peter's model confession and recognition of Christ, he goes on, Luke goes on to explain to us the costs of what it looks like to follow Jesus. He's like, thanks, Peter, for that, but here's what it's going to cost you. Okay? Look at what it says in 9, 23 through 27. It says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Way to be sensitive, see, uh, seeker sensitive there, Jesus, right? Come and follow me. Oh, no, by the way, it's going to cost you your life. What are we to make of this? That might not be the self-help or the self-improvement that we were hoping for out of a nice day at church. Come and die, right? But he gives us the right self-help. 
We need a self-help that transforms who we are. See, we are given to our sin nature that we were born with that runs far from God and it will give birth to sin as we grow older and older and we will go far from God accumulating a sin debt against Him. We need ourselves transformed, not improved. And that's what Jesus is telling to us. That death to ourself equals salvation of ourself. The call to being a Christian has always been to come and die and find new life in Jesus. In fact, this is what baptism pictures, right? That we are laying down our life with Jesus going under the waters into the grave and yet we are raising to a new life in Christ, completely cleansed of our sin, walking in a new direction with a new spirit. That's what it means to be a Christian. I get scared of the popular Christian things that are out there that talk about improving our life when in actuality Jesus says you need a radically different life. And I can give it to you. And when I give you a radically different life, you'll find real life. As we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, pleasures forevermore at his right hand as our heart is given to him. But often we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want to have a little bit of this world. And so we want some of Jesus, but that's not how it works. Again, Jesus has said we need to be put to death who we are. And notice Jesus says here daily. <laughs> Always think about that. This is something we got to do daily, that daily we're going to seek Jesus and let him transform us. Daily let him transform our hearts. He transforms our hearts and makes us holy before the Father for all time and eternity, completely pleased with us, but then we have to walk it out through all the rest of life as he's slowly transforming our actions and what we do. You know, there came a day in my life, uh, I remember this back in college, and, and, you know, as a Christian, you always have these battling passions of the things of the world and the things of Christ, and I really wanted to go on this climbing trip with some friends, and yet I was involved with leadership at, at the local college ministry, and I was trying to sneak my way out of my duties and my service. And I felt like God was saying to me, Jared, that's not the way you're following me. I've called you to serve here, and, and you ought to do it. And so I decided to do it. <laughs> I believe God blessed it, right? But I found great joy as I gave up my things that I thought I found life in to find real life as I followed Jesus. This is what he's calling us to. It cost us to come to church, right? It cost us to serve here, to give up of some of the things we'd rather do. Turning off Netflix at night to connect with the Lord through his word, man, I, sometimes I'd rather watch TV. It costs us. Giving our anxieties to God in prayer is, is harder than soothing them through substance abuse. Learning to control our sexual desires goes against the culture we live in. And yet God says, when you begin to follow me, when you lose your life, you're actually going to find real life and real pleasure and real good things as you walk in my ways. 
And the pro- this is God's promise. If we'll die to ourselves, then there's abundant life to be found in Him. And then He calls us also to unashamedly stand for and with Jesus. Matthew 10, 16, you know, He said, I'm sending you out as sheep amidst wolves and men. They'll deliver you to the, to the courts. They'll flog you. They'll go before, you'll go before kings and governors for My sake to bear witness. And Jesus says, in those times, if you don't stand for me, then I'm not going to stand for you when I come back. That's a sobering passage. Listen, don't let the world silence your voice or your witness. Jesus calls us to be bold, that we be unashamed about the power of the gospel to transform our hearts. That's what Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for its power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Any nationality, male and female, anyone can be saved by this gospel. And I'm going to speak about it because it's the only place where salvation can be found. I think if we really believed in the power of the gospel, we wouldn't be ashamed. But I'm not so convinced that we all think it's the right answer. In fact, that's what I feel, I think, when I, the places I get most ashamed of the gospel are when, I, when I'm with my extended family. And I think it's this doubt that creeps into my mind that maybe it's not the answer they need. They know me, they know my life, they know my flaws, they know everything. Maybe it's not good enough to change them. And I doubt the power of the gospel. And yet they need to know the gospel. I've also had these embarrassing conversations with my neighbors before where we're talking about the Bible. They know I study the Old Testament. They go, do you really believe in the story of Noah? Yes, I do. And they go, wow, why? Right? Because God said it. Because God is teaching us the gospel through this. I have seen him do the same things he did with Noah in my life as he took me through the waters of baptism into his salvation. And I, I, what Jesus is telling us is that standing for the gospel will ultimately be worth it, right? And Paul in 2 Timothy says this, 2 Timothy 1.7, he writes to a young and scared pastor, Timothy. He says, look at Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Just like he sent out those disciples at the beginning and gave them power over the demons and to heal, he's telling Timothy, you got the same power in you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. You know it can transform people. Go out there and let them know. Let's not be ashamed to stand for Jesus in these days because people out there need to know about the gospel. They need to hear what the gospel has done in your life and they need to be transformed by it. And maybe you've been ashamed of Jesus. Where would he ask you to say, God, I'm sorry? Where is Jesus calling you to stand for him this week? I know there's a place. Ask God to fill you by his spirit with the power and the love for the other people that you would be unashamed of the truth of what God is doing through him. Jesus goes on to say some of those standing there will not die before they see the kingdom 
of God. And we know here he's either speaking about the transfiguration, which we're going to read here in just a second, where Christ comes in all his glory. Or maybe even he's talking about the, the death, the, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ and the coming Holy Spirit, the institution of the church. Either one of those answers answers this, what Jesus is saying. But let's look at what he has to say here about the glory of Christ in the transfiguration. Here's what Luke tells us about this event in Luke 9, 28. He says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. It says, now Peter and those who were with him were, were heavy with sleep, but then they became fully awake. They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him, as the men were were uh, parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is, is it good that we are here? Let us make those tents, three tents for you, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, really not knowing what he said. And he was saying these things, a cloud came over and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now, this is a fantastic story, right? Jesus reveals his very glory to his disciples. It begins with this pattern of prayer, right? Jesus, we always see him going off to pray like we see him doing a lot. It teaches us to pray at all times, to retreat in our day to pray. And then the glory of Christ comes. It becomes dazzling white. It's, it's like this picture in, in Revelation chapter 1 of, of Christ and all of His brilliance. The glory of God just radiating out from Him. I also like this. You know, Moses and Elijah appear to Him. He also gives us a surety of the resurrection. That this is not all there is. Here's Moses and Elijah alive talking with Jesus. And they're speaking about what he's about to do. These guys knew what God was doing through Christ. It's like what Mark 12, 27 tells us. Jesus is the God of the living and not the dead. And then the, the glory of the scene, the, the light, it wakes up these disciples and they're, they're stammering at what they're seeing. We should make tents for you, Jesus. Right? They don't know what's going on. Woken up by his glory. And we get this great confirmation of who Christ is by God himself. If you want to know who Jesus is, God the Father right here is saying, this is my son. You ought to listen to him. You ought to follow him. Echoing what Moses said in Deuteronomy 18.15, where he said, a greater prophet than me is going to arise. And when he does, you listen to him. And God's saying, this is the guy right here. And what we know about in the Bible is that is the, when we behold the glory of Christ, this is what transforms our heart. This is what changes us. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this, 
For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our heart to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This means the Holy Spirit shines right into your heart to say, this is the guy, you ought to follow him, he's my son, he is the way to salvation. Similarly, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, We all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we behold the glory of Christ, that is what begins to change us from who we are into who He is. And we need to experience this glory. This is part of why we work so hard here at worship at Risen Life Church. We want you to see Christ on His throne and let that change you. Let it calm you. Let it, let it transform you as you behold who He is. I think some of my most transformative moments in my life as a Christian have come in the setting of worship, where I'm worshiping God, getting a glimpse of Him, where I'm hearing His voice, where I'm responding to Him in worship, in prayer. He's transforming me as I see Him. And if God is shining light into your heart today, then God asks you to confess Jesus as Lord, just like Peter did. And Ben, you can come on up. And unfortunately, what we see in this passage is that we're a feeble people, right? Our faith is fickle. We are weak. These guys have this great experience of Jesus' glory and then they come off the mountain and we have three stories right there where they begin to forget who Jesus is and what they're doing. Right? We come down, Luke 9, 37, it talks about that there's a, a father with a demon-possessed boy and he says, your disciples can't heal my son. Can you do it, Jesus? Jesus heals him, Right? We go on, Luke 9, 46, there's a dispute between the disciples. Who's the greatest? Well, the answer to that ought to have been Jesus. We just saw His glory. You're the greatest. We'll follow you. And yet they're squabbling with one another. And finally, the disciples see someone casting out demons in Jesus' name, and they're kind of upset about it. Maybe because they couldn't do it just a second ago. And Jesus says, whoever is for me, is for you. And really, this is the question for us. There's really only two ways to live. You're either with Jesus or you're against Him. Right? And that's what Peter was confessing. You are the Son of God. You are the Christ. I am going to follow you. He is the Son of God and the Savior of the world or He is nothing. And so He comes to us again. He says, Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? Peter got it right. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, come in human flesh, motivated by love, to save you and to save me and to save any who would follow Him in this world. We put our faith in Him, we can find forgiveness of sin, we can be made right with God, and we can have a relationship with Him forever. Who are you going to follow? Jesus? somebody else it's going to cost you in fact it'll cost you your life but when you lose your life he says you'll find your life in him you'll, ne you'll find never ending abundant life 
This morning, as we sing, we're going to take a few minutes to respond to what God has said to us through Luke. This is the question, who do you say Jesus is? If you've never given your life to Christ, then I'd be so bold to say, why don't you come down while we're singing, kneel here and say, God, your son is is Lord. I want to follow him. For some of us, we're a little bit ashamed of the gospel. Maybe we've been dabbling in the world, whatever. I'd invite you to come and say, God, forgive me of the ways that I have walked away from you. I want to give you my life, all of it. Take my life so that I can find real life. You come and you pray as you're worshiping. So let's respond to God this morning as we sing about giving Him our life.